This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome to this week's edition of America's Voice for Energy. Because of the earthquake that shook Oklahoma on September 3rd, I chose to write my column this week on that very topic. I wrote on it about a year ago when I talked to some some uh, specialists from Stanford University about a study they had produced that concluded that fracking was not the result of the earthquakes in Oklahoma. And I knew that in the back of my mind. So when I saw all the news reports about the earthquake on September 3rd and saw that those news reports were coming out and blaming it on fracking, I knew I had to write on this topic once again. I reached out to some of the same folks who had helped me when I wrote my column last October. And one of those folks is my first guest today, Jeremy Boak, and he is the director of the Oklahoma Geological Survey. Interestingly, when I reached out to him via email and asked him to help me once again, he was at a conference that very day on seismicity in Oklahoma. So he is most definitely the go-to guy when you think about earthquakes in Oklahoma. I originally became aware of Jeremy's work when I saw him uh, a year ago on MSNBC with Rachel Maddow, where they were addressing uh, a, a day in Oklahoma called the Great Shakeout. And I reached out to him at that time, and he, he helped me then, and he once again is helping me this time. So, Jeremy, thanks for joining me once again on America's Voice for Energy. It's a pleasure to join you, Marita. Well, as I said, you are certainly the go-to guy on earthquakes in Oklahoma. So tell us what's, you know, give us kind of the feeling there following this biggest ever earthquake, uh, at least in recorded history in Oklahoma. Well, people are naturally a little bit nervous. Um, what does this mean? How, how does this come to happen here? Uh, what's going to happen next? What can we expect? Um, We've seen this. I mean, it's interesting to have this largest earthquake kind of on the edge of the area where all the earthquakes are happening, which is about uh, less than 20% of the area of Oklahoma, and it's an area of concentrated activity in two major plays that produce a lot of water along with the oil and gas. So there's a large amount of, of water being injected, but actually the area where this earthquake happened was not one of those hottest areas. And the county right next to it, Osage County, which is, is uh, administered by Bureau of Indian Affairs and EPA for um, for the, the tribes, the Osage tribe, um, has almost no earthquakes. So it was a little bit of a surprise to have it happen here. There are some possible geologic explanations, but they're a little speculative this soon after. So a real conclusion has not been made yet <laughs> as to the cause, whether this earthquake was naturally caused or was caused due to oil and gas activity. That's right. We're still arguing to some extent over the Prague earthquake, the previous uh, record holder for uh, historic earthquakes in Oklahoma, about whether it was caused by the injection wells in the immediate area, all the injections uh, wells in the region, or whether it was a natural earthquake. It may well be that the answer is a kind of hybrid, that this fault had a lot of strain accumulated on it. Many of the faults, or in fact most faults in the U.S., are, according to Mark Zoback of Stanford, really close to the critical stress where they'll move. So slight changes in pressure 
which could be caused by injection of water into this, can in fact trigger earthquakes. So we may end up settling that some of these earthquakes were a little bit of a combination. They were queued up and ready to go with a lot of energy stored up along a fairly long length of fault. And when either another small earthquake that might have been triggered by injection or the injection pressure itself um, potentially caused these earthquakes. And we really haven't settled that for an earthquake five years ago, so I'm hesitant to jump out there and say, what caused this earthquake? In general, the large pattern of increase over the past five years from one or two earthquakes of magnitude three or larger to 900 last year, we believe is due to this broad-scale injection of produced water from wells. 60 Minutes described it really well, showed a beautiful illustration. This is water that was trapped down in, there, down in the rock along with the oil and gas. Yeah, and I think people obviously out there don't understand that since they're blaming it on fracking. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and it's easy to see how a person who doesn't understand the processes would easily think when you, you put high-pressure water under rock with the goal of, or underground, excuse me, with the goal of cracking rock, yeah. it's really easy for a, a person who doesn't understand the processes to make the leap to your cracking rock and there's earthquakes, there must be a connection. Mm -hmm. Right, and and we do have a few places where, uh, in, in British Columbia, um, some uh, tentative cases in Ohio, and one or two cases, I think two earthquakes in Pennsylvania, uh, as well as one or two or in Great Britain and a few other places, we have a handful of earthquakes that can be pretty well attributed to a frack job that was going on at the time, and in fact, our seismologist, uh, former seismologist Austin Holland documented one case in Oklahoma. Mostly, those earthquakes happen kind of at the level where you're doing the hydraulic fracturing. There are a handful of earthquakes that occur deeper still and suggest that that frack job communicated with some fault and triggered an earthquake during the frack job. They're pretty few and far between but they are important to take note of, and we've been looking around to see if there's anywhere we can see others. In the meantime, we've got this huge increase that we attribute to injection, and differentiating the two, which ones are actually related to a frack job and, differentiating, and which ones are related to injection, is a really important technical distinction because the actions you take for one are different from those that you would take for the other. And so trying to confuse the two looks like it's kind of political, um, but making the distinction yeah, is important. I agree. And for my money, you know, it's, it's still about oil and gas operations. So if you're an opponent of oil and gas operations, it's legitimate to sort of talk about, you know, any earthquake caused by the oil industry is a problem. That's legitimate, but it really is important to distinguish the two because the actions we want to take are different. We have thousands of hydraulically fractured wells in North Dakota, virtually no earthquakes. Thousands of tens of thousands, I think, of, of hydraulically fractured wells in Pennsylvania, virtually no earthquakes. Over no, but because Pennsylvania doesn't have a lot of disposal wells, they've shipped a lot of wastewater, produced water from their wells, over to Ohio. And in a few of those wells, they got so much, and they were placed in the wrong place, they caused some earthquakes. Ohio acted quickly to shut that small number of wells down. Um, Arkansas had a similar situation. They shut four wells down. They still have injection going on, but in that area, they shut them down. Um, so, you know, there are different sets of actions. And, and, and these places, specific. when they 
when these cases that you've just cited, when they shut down the injection well, when, when you say you're, they shut down a well, that's an injection well, correct? Right. That's an injection well, okay. and you, you don't frack injection wells. It's too expensive. Um, the, you've got to keep your cost down for this disposal of water for the most part, and um, you know the calculations show this is what Mark Zoback and Raul Walsh did was to calculate Given the number of frack jobs, the amount of water used for a frack job, the amount of it that comes back out of the well is what we call flowback, less than 5% of the water being injected in the areas in Oklahoma that have the earthquakes, less than 5% is frack flowback water. 95% and more, in many cases, is this uh, naturally occurring water. It's water you would not want to drink. It has, uh, in most cases, it is saltier than dead sea water saltier than Great Salt Lake water, and people will tell you, don't, don't let any of that water into your mouth. So just on salt alone, it's not good for you. But it's been sitting there for millions of years. It's dissolved minerals and metals out of, the, out of the rock around it, and it's also picked up some of the oil and gas it's living with. So it's totally natural water, but not tasty. The most yeah. reasonable thing for years has been to put it back underground into, an, in, into either the same geologic formation to help try and drive more oil up into your well or into a deeper formation where it's well segregated from groundwater. Now, you, you brought that up that, that sometimes they inject it back into that same well or into what they call an injection well. Have you found that when they inject it back into that same well that, that you don't believe there's earthquake activity as a result of that? Right. What Walsh and Zoback showed was that where you have water flows going... Let me just, for our listeners, Walsh and Zoback is the Stanford study. Right, the Stanford study that, that Mark Zoback and Raul Walsh did as a, as a graduate student, and he's now a postdoc with Mark. Um, a really excellent, very readable study. When you're injecting water for enhanced oil recovery, you do your best to maintain a sort of steady pressure gradient. You don't want to over-pump it. You don't want to under-pump it. Um, and so what happens is that you maintain this balance you can cycle a good deal of water through, drive oil into your producing wells, and get more oil out of the ground, sometimes half again as much or maybe even more as you had from primary drive. And so that's a really good thing to do. Where we have that going on, and they documented this, there were virtually no earthquakes. There were some small ones, a few, but not a whole lot. Um, so, and, and let me just clarify, when you say small, are these earthquakes that are not perceptible to humans? Uh, I would guess that in that area, one of the things about Oklahoma is it has a very stiff crust down there, and so people, they, they kind of ring like a bell a little bit, and so people feel pretty small earthquakes. But most of these are actually down in, you know, below three. They cause shaking. They don't cause um, a great deal. They don't cause a lot of damage, uh, although I will note that where damage been caused by earth, larger earthquakes, we really don't know much about cumulative damage from a series of maybe smaller earthquakes that shake the already damaged building. Um, that's one of the topics that it's, it's sort of out of our realm as the earthquake loggers, you know, the guys who keep track of all these things, but it's, it's a, an unaddressed scientific or technical engineering issue that, um, that I'd, I'd like to see getting more attention. And, and you all are doing more research into this. Uh, not into that particular topic, but you know, our, our main objective is to track and understand the earthquakes we've got, um, understand where they're occurring and what the structure of the, the geologic structure is 
beneath Oklahoma, way down in the in the deep crust where this is happening, so that we can establish further establish the connection between injection into this one deep horizon that has loved to take water for decades. It's just that we kind of found its limit. We put too much down there. Um, and would you say you put too much down or, or too much at one time? Too much too fast. Um, okay. <laughs> it's, not a, it's not a bathtub. It's a leaky bathtub. So it spreads out, and if you inject it at the right rate, it'll spread out, and you won't have much at all in the way of seismicity. If you ramp that up a little bit, you might get a little bit of seismicity. If you ramp it up too far, you get too much. Um, so would you say, have you, do you feel like you all have more or less determined what that level is that you can pump in there? Um, I think we've seen that with the reductions that have been mandated by the Oklahoma Corporation Commission, um, we're seeing a very substantial drop-off in the rate of earthquakes. Even with this big one, the overall rate of earthquakes in Oklahoma has declined about a third. We're seeing a little bit of a spike associated with this one earthquake, but spikes on our 30-day running average are pretty normal. The long-term average, 180-day moving average, is down by more than a third, and in, I think at one point actually 40% down. So we think the actions that they took, although as it turns out, industry had already taken some actions just because price was declining. So certain wells that produced especially high quantities of water appear to have gotten shut in, so there was less injection, um, starting actually even well before the Corporation Commission started putting its directives in place. Um, Back when they were scrambling just to get their data a little bit more up to date, um, industry was acting because of prices, and those actions dropped Maybe even further than the requirements of the of the corporation commission, but as we but that that uh, the corporation commission orders will provide a ceiling, so there won't be a whole lot of wiggle room to recover, even if price came back up. Yeah, and we're out of time. We're out of time, Jeremy. We run the clock. I appreciate you giving us great insight. We've been talking with Jeremy Boke, the director of the Oklahoma Geological Survey, and we'll be back on America's Voice for Energy. Thanks for listening. 45 years of experience is behind the most trusted name in auto transportation. Passport Transport, the first and finest today. That's why Passport Transport is the preferred auto transport for major auto manufacturers, concours, museums, tours, and collectors, and should be your choice from across the state to across the country. When you have the need, go to PassportTransport.com and enjoy the peace of mind referenced experience will give you. Passport Transport. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government as well as those involved in legal cases have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. America's Web Radio is the most diverse and informative radio station anywhere in cyberspace. We have shows about health, business, current events, entertainment, home care, and everything in between. We appreciate your continued support of America's Web Radio. 
Welcome back to this week's edition of America's Voice for Energy. This week we're talking about earthquakes, uh, specifically induced earthquakes as a result of oil and gas development, as a result of the, the big earthquake that hit Oklahoma on September 3rd. In this segment, we're going to be talking with Rex Buchanan, who is the interim director of the Kansas Geological Survey. And Rex, you were very helpful for me in putting together my column this week, and I appreciate you taking time out of your busy day to join us uh, for this segment of America's Voice for Energy. Sure. Uh, it's This is obviously a, an important topic, and over the last, oh, uh, well, particularly I would say over the last year here in Kansas, seismicity has been down. But one of the points that I've been trying to make to folks is that uh, this is not an issue that's gone away. It's not a problem that's been solved. And I think the uh, Pawnee earthquake from uh, September 3rd and then some of the activity since then sort of brings that, that home. It's still an issue we've got to deal with and we're going to have to continue to deal with for a while. So you mentioned that the uh, seismic activity has been down. Uh, to what do you attribute that? We've seen it on the Kansas side really since, oh, uh, spring, summer of 2015. And on our side of the, excuse me, on our side of the border, the, the Kansas Corporation Commission, which regulates Class II saltwater disposal wells in, in the state, uh, issued an order that, uh, resulted in cutbacks of disposal volumes in five areas in south-central Kansas. And it wasn't too long after that order in March of 15 that we began to see a reduction of activity within those five zones. That reduction in activity really has continued fairly right up until the last few weeks. And some of that reduction, I think, is clearly... Uh, the result of that order. If you look at the seismicity, the very small earthquakes within those five zones, you can see that that activity within those zones is down. In effect, the earthquake sort of migrated out of those five zones. But having said that, at the same time that uh, that that order was issued, very roughly the same time, oil prices dropped pretty dra dramatically, and so there was less uh, exploration, uh, which resulted in in less production which resulted in less salt water to get rid of. And so the, the upshot is that disposal volumes also went down somewhat at the same time as a result of those price drops. And so when you've got two variables at work in a setting like that, it's tough to know how much you can attribute to one and how much you can attribute to the other. I think certainly both of them uh, had an effect. And my guess from talking to folks is probably the market had more of an effect than the order did, but they both worked in concert to, to bring a reduction in, vo in volumes and thus a, vo a reduction in seismicity. Having said that, you know, we're still <clears throat> we've seen an uptick in seismicity here over the last few weeks. Uh, we're seeing it in Kansas in a, in a place up in kind of north-central Kansas that just, just within the last couple of weeks we hadn't seen it before. So once again, I guess I would say even with all that, I, I certainly don't think anybody is approaching this as a problem solved or an issue that's gone away, and, and uh, uh, we're certainly not on, on this side of the border, and I know the folks in Oklahoma aren't either. Now, you mentioned that there's been an increase in seismic activity in, what did you say, north-central Kansas, is there oil and gas development in that area? Oh, yeah. It's a, it's a, a historically a big oil and gas producing area. Okay. This is up in the Ellis County area of Kansas, which historically has been Ellis. <coughs> excuse me. Ellis has historically been the leading annual uh, 
oil producing county in the state. But okay. with all the activity that was in uh, Harper County down on South Central Kansas in 2015, Harper County became the largest producing county in the state. But there, historically, there's been activity there. We did have a, a spate of, of seismic activity there in the late 80s, early 90s, that folks at the time talked about a possible result of induced seismicity, but didn't really get the kind of attention that that we that this will get if we see additional activity up there just because everybody's a lot more sensitized to earthquakes today than they were, say, 20 or 30 years ago. Uh, everybody's watching this whole situation far more closely than they did then. Yeah, and you were at a meeting on uh, September 8th last week. You were at a meeting in uh, Oklahoma with other uh, folks of your focus, I guess I would say. Uh, what, was the, what, was, what was the tone there? What are people concerned about? Yeah, this was a, a workshop that the Oklahoma Geological Survey had previously scheduled uh, for two days. I think it was the 8th and 9th in Norman. And because of the proximity and time to that Pawnee earthquake, uh, it took on uh, added interest. And it drew a lot of folks from around the country from state surveys, particularly Oklahoma surveys, survey, OU, but uh, oil companies and producers, particularly in Oklahoma, the USGS, just a a range of folks. Uh, a lot of conversation about several things. Obviously, the Pawnee earthquake was a big topic of conversation and pinning yeah. down the fault that produced that and, and then the steps that the OC, Oklahoma Corporation Commission was taking. That was a big topic of conversation. The behavior of that earthquake versus the behavior of some other earthquakes was a big topic. One of the other big topics was basically pressure monitoring in the Arbuckle. A lot of this salt water goes in Kansas and Oklahoma both goes into the Arbuckle Formation. So trying to get a handle on how that has resulted in pressure changes in the Arbuckle and how those pressure changes might lead to earthquakes really, I'd say, dominated a couple of the sessions. So it, it, was, uh, it was good to have in-depth conversation in terms of partly to compare notes about what we know today, say, compared to what we knew a couple of years ago. And there's no question that we know far more. But I, I will say one of the tone, one of the things I took away from it is still how far we have to go to really understand this whole thing. So, you know, we've come a long ways, but we've still got a long ways to go. Well, I appreciate that comment that you've come a long ways, but you still have a long way to go. So what, what at this point is the general consensus? Is there a consensus? Well, I think there's a strong consensus that, that, that these events are the result of, of large volume saltwater disposal. And there's a strong consensus that it's going to take a while for this thing to play itself out. That is, you know, we got in this situation over the course of years and it's going to take years for it to play itself out and, and, and deal with it. So I think, I think there's certainly that consensus. I think there's a strong consensus that we have to look at this thing sort of aerially or regionally, not so much just go focus on one earthquake and focus on the nearest well, but go look at a lot of wells, which is what everybody is doing. So there's a, a strong consensus about all of those things. I, I think that, I think what we don't know, and I think this was a topic of conversation to a certain extent, and I think you're going to hear a lot more of it over the over time, which is, what are we going to do when oil prices go back up again? Uh, we all know they will, and, and therefore they drilling will drilling will pick drilling up. Drilling comes back, and production comes back, and saltwater production will come back. Then what do we do? And I, and I think everybody knows there are certain things we don't want to do. You know, we don't want to. 
have a whole bunch of these really large volume disposal wells in a, in a small area and get in this situation again, I think there's a strong sense that we can mitigate this issue. But the question is, what exactly does that mitigation look like? How much do you have to spread those wells out? How much do you have to limit volumes? Those are questions that I don't know that anybody has a real good handle on today, and they're, getting, they're questions we're going to have to get figured out uh, for, for when that day comes, and we all know that day is coming. It's just a question of when. So, you know, there's, you know, there's like I said, there, there's, there's a lot more we know today about what we can't do or what we shouldn't do. I think the next question is, okay, what should we do when we when this day comes again. Now, you also hear a lot of conversation about recycling and reuse of salt water, and there's no question that on down the road, long term, that, that that will be a big big topic of conversation and a possible solution. But until that day become, until that becomes economic, until that day happens, disposal wells are going to be the primary focus. And exactly how we go about that disposal, I think, is the the sixty four dollar question in front of us right now. Well, fortunately for that, it doesn't look like the price of oil is going to go up dramatically anytime soon. Uh, you, you you could be right. Uh, <laughs> and I, I mean, no one knows. Whether, I realize and, no one knows. And I and I wouldn't say whether it was fortunate or unfortunate. I I would put it this way. I will say that this price drop gave us some breathing room. As unfortunate it is as it is for producers, it did give the regulatory folks and maybe the scientific community a little breathing room to take a look at this thing while activity went down a little bit. But I don't know anybody. Every time I I haven't found anybody that really knows when these things are going to when prices are going to come back. It seems like it's usually when you least expect it. So you know, I think it behooves us to to to, to behave as if we know that day's coming fairly soon and try and figure out how to get ready for it. Yeah, it most certainly does. I want to ask your opinion. Uh, you know, my column, as you know, uh, is widely pup distributed. It's out there in a lot of different places at the moment. And I've had some comments on it, as I always do. And the title uh, of my column addresses that, you know, the science doesn't support the uh, fracking is causing earthquakes claim. And uh, different places have given it different titles uh, that have published it. But I, my, it basically, as science says, fracking not causing increased earthquakes. And I've had some comments such as, well, that they must be the worst scientists in the world then. How would you respond to a comment like that? Well, uh, I, I guess I'd say a couple of things. There, there are earthquakes that are caused by fracking. There aren't very many, and they typically have not very been very big. But, but certainly in Ohio, a few of the events in Oklahoma, and particularly up in British Columbia and Canada, they've seen it. So it does happen. Having said that, I would say the big. I don't hear anybody that that would make that argument that 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 applies in a big way to what's going on in in the mid-continent in our part of the world. You know, I, I think I think there are a couple things. One is, uh, you know, fracking is is kind of the thing that everybody wants to blame for every problem that comes along, and so <clears throat> sorry again. Uh, so I think that that's that's uh, that's part of it. And I think partly it almost may, it may be also a definitional thing. That is, when I talk about fracking, I talk about the actual you know period of a few hours when you pressure up these wells and the few hours during an actual frack job. And there may be folks that view fracking as just one part of the entire process, and so you know they when they say fracking, I think they really. 
you know, they mean that it's, you know, fracking is what's led to a lot of this production. So in some respects, I yeah, think it's a definitional they say, thing. They say that the, the time that the earthquakes kind of happened was at the same time that fracking was kind of ramping up. Yeah, and so, and I think there's not much understanding. I mean, certainly fracking has been going on for a long, long time, and people have used it in our part of the world since the 40s. It's been applied in a different scale when you have horizontal drilling, and so you much, much bigger and more numerous frack jobs. And I think if people really understood all of this, they might change their language some ways. And I, and I think... Yeah, if I saw people that said, you know, that they they blamed horizontal drilling for increased seismicity, you know, in some respects I could I could kind of buy that. I could kind of see what they were saying. But to blame fracking any more than you blame any other part of the drilling process, uh, you know, that seems to me to be just picking and choosing, you know, what what you want to blame something for. I mean, you couldn't you wouldn't have these wells if you didn't have fracking. That's true, but you wouldn't have these wells if you didn't have advanced steering systems and computers and drill bits and drilling mud and everything else, but nobody picks those out. They just focus on fracking. I, yeah. I think it's just indicative of conversation that, that kind of went off the rails and, and it's stayed off the rails. But it does make it hard, and, and it is important. And here's why it matters, and I tried to say this over and over again. That's what will get us on down the road and not a conversation about whether or not fracking causes earthquakes. And that's why yeah. you know, I think it's important to be as clear as you can be when we talk about this. Well, we're out of time, Rex. I appreciate it. I appreciate you clarifying that. We've been talking with Rex Buchanan, Interim uh, Director of the Kansas Geological Survey. Stay with us, and we'll be right back on America's Voice for Energy. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare. But for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. Obamacare is failing. We all know that, but you need to know why and what you can do to get us back on the right track. Visit us at ObamacareWatch.org. This is Grace Marie Turner of the Galen Institute. Join us at ObamacareWatch.org. Who is or what is USJF? It is a nonprofit legal organization founded to protect our rights through the U.S. Constitution. Active in educating the public, USJF has also contributed directly and indirectly to legal defense efforts in many celebrated cases involving fundamental conservative principles. Cases of note include the Mount Soledad Cross case, the Arizona Immigration Law case, the Obama eligibility cases, the NDAA illegal detention issue, and many more. Help this nonprofit as they help you. Visit www.usjf.net today. America's Web Radio is the most diverse and informative radio station anywhere in cyberspace. 
We have shows about health, business, current events, entertainment, home care, and everything in between. We appreciate your continued support of America's Web Radio. Okay, David, this is a redo of the introduction to segment number uh, three. Yeah, Uh, and we will begin in three, two, one. Welcome back to America's Voice for Energy. I'm Marita Noon, and this week we're talking about earthquakes, and are they caused by fracking, as so many of the headlines say. As you'll hear from our experts in this show, nope, they aren't caused by fracking. And in our next segment, we're going to be talking with Ed Ireland, and Ed is the Executive Director of the Barnett Shale Energy Education Council. He's also a professor with the Energy MBA program in the Neely School of Business at Texas Christian University. Great expert on the topic. Ed, thanks for joining us once again on America's Voice for Energy. You bet. We're really glad to do it. Good to talk to you again. Thank you. Well, I appreciate you coming on with us to give us kind of the perspective from Texas. You know, we have, we've talked to Jeremy Boak from Oklahoma. We've talked to Rex Buchanan from uh, Kansas. And Texas is important, too, because Texas has been a big piece in the puzzle of trying to determine what is the cause of these earthquakes. And there were many earthquakes around the, the uh, maybe not many, excuse me, that's probably a misnomer, some earthquakes around the Dallas airport that, that got a lot of attention. Can you tell us about those? Uh, sure. The, uh, w- probably the, um, the uh, seismic activity, earthquake activity that has received uh, a lot of attention uh, has been uh, activity that was actually in Irving uh, near the the downtown Dallas, and um, this was uh, for uh, any football fans. This was very near the site of the old uh, Cowboy Stadium, uh, which has since been uh, imploded and removed. But um, I, I have to just inject here. Yes. This is totally uh-huh. irrelevant, but I just have to inject here for my husband's birthday. I bought him three seats from the old stadium. Okay. When you mentioned the the old Cowboy Stadium, I'm like, I just have to throw that in because I bought him three seats. I just gave them to him last week. So anyway, right. totally irrelevant, but I had to throw that in. Yeah, that sounds like a good gift. Um, but that's where these this earthquake activity has been located. And um, while there hasn't been any more of that activity in uh, many months, uh, it did receive a lot of attention because it was felt uh, even in uh, in downtown Dallas. Uh, and, and, of course, it was immediately blamed on uh, oil and natural gas activity uh, in the area. And um, the interesting fact is that there isn't any oil or gas activity or uh, saltwater injection wells anywhere near that area. Uh, in fact, really? the closest, the closest uh, wells, there is a well that was drilled uh, and shut in back in 2009, I believe it was, that is uh, a couple of miles from there. But uh, like I say, it was shut in uh, many years ago and uh, really was not even an, an active well for very long at all. And uh, so there's no producing uh, activity uh, anywhere near there, and the nearest uh, saltwater injection well is north of the Dallas-Fort Worth Airport, which is, as the crow flies, probably a good uh, 10 or 12 miles from the uh, area. 
uh, where these uh, earthquakes were located. So to blame that on oil and natural gas activity is a stretch, to say the least. So what do they think caused those earthquakes? Uh, if you ask a geologist, they will tell you that uh, that area is located uh, on the Balcones Fault system, which is the largest fault system in the state of Texas. And um, I think most people, even uh, those that have lived in this area for uh, all of their lives, didn't know that that huge fault runs right through that area. That's actually right in, in where the Trinity River is. But that Balcones fault system runs all the way down in South Texas and all the way out of Texas into Oklahoma and uh, continuing on north. So it's um, a very large uh, fault system that, uh, for whatever reason, uh, decided to move. And but but when this, these earthquakes happen, so obviously I gather then from what you've said that the geologists believe these particular quakes that were in the Irving, Texas area were naturally caused. Um, many do. Yes, I've, I've talked with many geologists that say that's that's just uh, they think it's clear that that's uh, what has happened. Uh, SMU uh, seismologists uh, have produced a study of that area. And they failed. They would not exclude oil and gas activity. They they didn't. Um, they they in fact tried to uh, uh, develop a case that the injection wells that were ten or twelve miles away near the DFW airport um, could, under their assumptions, have caused that activity. Uh, but they would have to make some very dubious assumptions about the uh, the saltwater-bearing sand called the Ellenberger that uh, the injection well injects into, uh, they would have to assume, I don't want to get too technical here, but they had to assume that that uh, Ellenberger formation was homogeneous for the entire 10 or 12 miles from the airport. And uh, geologists actually know that's not the case. So... Um, it's just one of those areas uh, where it seems very clear to uh, many that uh, those are not related to oil and gas activity because there just isn't any oil and gas activity near it. Okay. But despite that, we see headlines anytime there is uh, seismic activity in areas that don't traditionally have a lot of it, unlike California. Um, they, they blame that on fracking. Did they blame this on fracking? The uh, headlines, I mean? Typ typically, the headlines uh, do say something about <clears throat> fracking uh, as being the cause of the uh, earthquake, uh, when, in fact, um, all studies I'm aware of say that, you know, the actual process of hydraulic fracturing uh, is not related to any induced seismicity, rather... If there is a connection at all uh, between oil and gas activity and uh, induced seismic events, it would be because of saltwater injection wells and not the process of hydraulic fracturing. So the, the media uh, is, is bad about uh, saying, and, and certainly in the headlines, that fracking 
is the uh, culprit, and that's just not the case. If if a, a saltwater injection well is drilled on or very near a fault, and that fault is under pressure, and fluids are injected at a high enough uh, volume to uh, to lubricate the fault, then it could cause uh, seismic activity. <clears throat> but those three factors have to be uh, in place. That is, drilled on or near a fault, the fault has to be under stress, and, and the injection has to be at a higher rate. So that's why there are thousands and thousands of injection wells in Texas, Oklahoma, and uh, other states where there has never been any uh, earthquake activity around the injection well, and that's because they're not on or near a fault. So with this new understanding, are, are, when, when new disposal wells are considered, um, are they taking the taking a closer look, I guess would be the right way to phrase it, at the fault? Yes, the Railroad Commission is now. Uh, they, um, uh, in, in the past, the Railroad Commission did not uh, specifically take into account uh, any historical seismic activity when they permitted uh, saltwater injection wells. Now they do. Starting um, a couple of years ago, they hired a seismologist on staff at the Railroad Commission and uh, rewrote their rules for uh, having saltwater injection wells permitted. And uh, so they do take it into account. Uh, anyone applying for a permit to uh, drill a saltwater injection well has to provide uh, a long history of any seismic activity in the area as well as uh, a lot of other information that the Railroad Commission can then take into account. So since they've been doing this in Texas, have there been any known cases of earthquakes that are related to oil and gas activity? Uh, not that I'm aware of. And, uh, in fact... So that the, seems uh, to have pretty much solved it. Right. The, um, that, that's exactly right. The, it appears that, uh, you know, once, it, once it's taken into account, uh, uh, once the history of any seismic activity is taken into account. Uh, there, ha there certainly have been permits denied by the Railroad Commission. So let me ask you, we've just got a couple minutes left, but I, I should have clarified this before my previous question. Have there been documented cases in Texas of earthquakes that are uh, believed to be connected to oil and gas activity? Uh, well, there have been some that have have been uh, allegedly connected, but uh, you know the problem with um, with and that would be that would be those Irving earthquakes you mentioned, right? Right. I mean the problem okay. with seismic activity is uh, it's it's very difficult, maybe impossible, to ever actually provide a, a you know a linkage uh, between say oil and gas activity and and the earthquake uh, because. Certainly, they, they occur naturally, and um, again, the SMU researchers uh, actually tried their best to make a case to tie it to uh, oil and gas activity that was 10 miles away, but uh, you know, their assumptions are certainly uh, dubious, and so, there, no, there has not been any proof. I'm not sure there ever will be any proof, but uh, they'll continue to 
to try in many cases. Yeah, in our last minute and a half here, I'd like to hear your opinion. Why do they continually try to connect this to fracking? Uh, it's just part of the uh, the anti-fossil fuel movement. Uh, it's you know anything that uh, that can possibly uh, cast a negative light on oil and gas activity uh, is something that the anti-fossil fuel movement is going to to seize on, and so it's just another um, uh, an, another possibility that uh, they continue to put out there to uh, keep an, a negative light on oil and gas activities just part of the anti-fossil fuel movement in general yeah yeah and um what what is is the public receiving that i think in some cases they do uh but i I think in a lot of cases uh you know uh, let's face it a lot of people don't don't track uh the details of uh oil and gas activity and and uh, don't really study the facts and 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 they're swayed by headlines and uh, so unfortunately i think um, in the general public in many cases uh, does believe that oil and gas activity fracking specifically uh, is <clears throat> causing earthquakes and I mean, that's unfortunate but I think it's true, and that's why uh, in many of the public opinion polls the support of fracking, you know, has been declining. I mean, that's that's just a yeah. fact. And uh, they've been working hard at that. They've been working hard at it, and and I think they have an impact. Yeah. Well, we've been talking with Ed Barnett, the executive director of the Barn. I'm excuse me, I said Ed Barnett. Ed Ireland, executive director of Barnett Shale Energy Education Council. Thanks for joining us today on America's Voice for Energy. Your auto love and investment demands the best, and for 45 years, Passport Transport has been meeting those demands. From manufacturers to the one-car collectors and all other facets of the auto industry and antique auto hobby. The first and the finest with unequaled service and peace of mind. Passport Transport, your auto transportation company. Contact PassportTransport.com with your need today. Passport Transport. Obamacare is failing. We all know that, but you need to know why and what you can do to get us back on the right track. Visit us at ObamacareWatch.org. This is Grace Marie Turner of the Galen Institute. Join us at ObamacareWatch.org. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And uh, this will be segment number four, David. And, uh, Steve, just so you know, I'll need a couple minutes uh, at the end to wrap up. And so depending on how long you go, I'll give you a clue and I'll say, well, we've got two or three minutes left, or, you know, depending on where there's a gap to say that. So I'll give you a clue where we are. But if we're running tight on the clock, uh, I will just close and we'll, you won't have an opportunity to say thank you, it was great to be with you, or whatever. Okay. Okay? All right. We will begin in three, two, one. Welcome to our closing segment of this week's edition of America's Voice for Energy. We've been talking about earthquakes today, and now in this final segment, we're going to be talking with Steve Everly, who is a senior advisor for Energy In-Depth, which is a great program put together by the Independent Petroleum Association of America. And uh, I'm frankly surprised with our common interest that this is Steve's first time to join us on America's Voice for Energy, but I trust, Steve, that it won't be the last. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me on. 
know, each week we put together a show with uh, different experts addressing the topic of the column that I write each week. And we've had some great guests on in this segment. We've had Jeremy Boak, who's the director of the Oklahoma Geological Survey. We've had Rex Buchanan, who's the interim director of the Kansas Geological Survey. And Ed, Ed Ireland with the Barnett Shale uh, Energy Education Council. And we, we're excited to hear from you because what we haven't heard with all these great guests, it's kind of the industry perspective. What's the the oil and gas industry doing uh, about these earthquakes? Are they concerned about these induced earthquakes? You know, what's the story there? Well, the the thing to remember is that the industry is not this, like, abstract thing out there that, you know, you can just say, oh, the industry thinks this, the industry, industry thinks that. These are men and women who live in these communities, these are workers, these are engineers, these are scientists, uh, accountants, all across the spectrum. And we have to remember that when we talk about the industry, we're talking about companies which are made up of people. And in Oklahoma particularly, many of the employees live in the areas where there are earthquakes. So they are just as interested as everyone else in figuring out what the specific cause is and what we can do to mitigate them and what we can ultimately do to reduce the frequency. Uh, I, I, I like to make that just a, a, as a, a, a point of emphasis because a lot of people start talking about what does the industry think, and I think it's more important to, to think about this in terms of the industry employees uh, who are in our communities. They're our neighbors, they're our friends, they're our relatives. Yeah, excellent clarification. So these people, I mean, as you said, obviously are concerned. They don't want their homes shaking or breaking uh, more, any, more or less than anyone else. But the industry is really doing some things proactively uh, to try to work with uh, the, the Corporation Commission in Oklahoma, the, the Geological Survey. Um, I, I know they're very active in, in wanting to, to solve this problem. Yes, and there, there's several things that they have done that, unfortunately, we just don't see in a lot of coverage of this. We, we see, you know, industry may have caused this. Here's what a critic says about that. That's the story. The reality is, and if you actually go to Oklahoma and, and, and speak on the ground to people, you will, you will get this uh, spirit of collaboration that's really there. Uh, the industry has been sharing data with scientists and with regulators. Uh, industry has a lot of the, uh, you know, the, the individual companies that are operating in these areas have a lot of data on the subsurface that the state has not previously had. And the, the companies themselves say, well, we're interested in solving this too. Here's some data. This may help inform your decision in terms of do we restrict this over here? Is this well over, is this well, well over here okay? Um, and obviously sharing that with, with scientists as well, which have put together a lot of these reports and research that have come out that are trying to explain what's going on and ultimately come to solutions on that. The industry has also spent, uh, last year the figure was about $35 million. It's significantly higher than that now. Uh, plugging back wells, reducing volumes, and trying to find other ways to, uh, to deal with this issue uh, in some of these areas with earthquakes. They've invested a lot of money in this. Uh, and so you you have collaboration and a, a significant investment in trying to reduce the in trying to reduce earthquakes and find good science based answers, uh, and unfortunately a lot of what we just hear is you know let's blame this on fracking and then we move on. 
Yeah, and that's certainly what I addressed this week. And, and uh, with the earthquake on September 3rd in Oklahoma, I thought, well, this is a good opportunity for me to get this information back out there. Steve, like me, uh, you were very involved in kind of messaging and trying to educate the public on these realities. What do you find in your work is the biggest misunderstanding or misconception that's out there? Well, I know you touched on this in your article, um, and I, I briefly just, just mentioned it. Uh, the attempt to blame fracking for these earthquakes, and there are a number of reasons why that's problematic. Uh, first and foremost, uh, a, lot of the, a lot of industry critics and even some in the media have attacked the industry and have attacked companies uh, for supposedly ignoring science on this and saying, oh, well, they, they just don't believe it, that's, you know, that, th- that their operations have any role in this. They, 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 they say that that science doesn't, you know, that, that dog don't hunt. Uh, that's not true. As I mentioned, the, a lot of the data for the research actually came from the companies. They're trying to come to a solution. Uh, but that claim is out there. And yet these same groups and these same critics insist on calling everything fracking, even though those scientists have gone out of their way to say, do not blame this on fracking. This is a separate process. It's regulated under different laws. Blaming this on fracking essentially confuses people, and it makes people think that one part of the process is responsible when it's actually another. That can lead to bad policy outcomes, and we're actually starting to see some of that where the White House is being asked about their policy on fracking in response to earthquakes. They're not going to change their policy on fracking in response to earthquakes for the same reason they're not going to change their policy on the clean power plant or offshore leasing. It's, it's the same sort of thing, and yet we, we continue to see this claim about fracking being responsible for everything, despite the fact that the scientists are saying the complete opposite and criticizing the media for using it. Yeah, and that's when I saw the headlines regarding the September 3rd earthquake that so many of them, and surprisingly, actually, the coverage in the New York Times actually had it pretty pretty right. But so much of the headlines that were out there on it uh, addressed, you know, blamed it on fracking, and I just felt like, gosh, I, I can't let this go unanswered. I have to address this and, and try to educate the public on the difference between fracking flowback water and the produced water, and uh, try to explain that in a way that that the average uh, person could grasp. Uh, and I, I'm sure, with like you, I find that very frustrating. Well, and there's an irony here, irony here too. Um, a lot of the people who are making that connection to fracking are justifying it by saying, well, the public views the whole development process as fracking. They, they hear fracking. Yeah, well, why does, why does the public view that? Because and the, the anti-fossil fuel people, you know, try to, try to connect it. I often, so often when I'm speaking uh, on this topic, which I will be in Oklahoma tomorrow, actually, uh, but so often when I'm speaking on this topic, I uh, I use I draw people to a group called and I'm sure you're familiar with it Environment America and they have a report they put out called Fracking by the Numbers and I believe it's on page seven in their report I tell people get out your smartphone pull it up you'll see they have a definition a little sidebar box that has defining fracking. And in essence, they say, well, the industry likes to use a more restrictive definition, but we prefer to use a definition that includes all of the impacts of fracking. And essentially, they're calling everything from permitting to production to the pump fracking. Yeah, and there's a a couple interesting anecdotes with respect to this that I, I think are worth bringing up. In Denton, Texas, when they were pushing their ban on fracking, 
they insisted, okay, ban on fracking, ban fracking, we have to ban fracking. They ran to the press and they said, look, if they want to keep drilling, they can keep drilling. We just want to ban fracking. They, they were interested in, in it being just one part of the process. And it, so they, they wanted to define it however, whatever fits whatever they're trying to do. Um, it seems more reasonable if they just want to ban one part of the process rather than, than, than all of drilling. But we know that they're actually going after all of drilling. The other thing I would say is that, you know, for especially especially those in the media who continue to, to, to perpetuate this myth, um, they say, okay, well, the, the public thinks of it as fracking. Well, that's not true. And I think it, when you're a journalist, you have an obligation to accuracy and an obligation to actually inform the public of what is and isn't, isn't right. And I wonder if they would apply the same metric to climate change. There's significant... Uh, portion of the population, I've seen anywhere between 25 to 40 percent, who are skeptical of man-made climate change. Now, would these same reporters adjust the way they talk about global warming to cater to those segments of the population and how they, they view climate change? Or should we talk about science regardless of how many people may accept or reject it? it, it I, I've never been able to get a good straight answer from anyone about that because this, this is a scientific question as well, and yet for some reason it's okay to misinform people here, but it's not over there. The only commonality between them is that the oil and gas industry looks like the villain. Yeah, well, that's definitely the goal of uh, much of this, this media coverage of stories like this, is to make the oil and gas industry the villain and, and to push their agenda. Why, why do you think, um, I, of course I know my, what I think, but why do you think they have made fracking uh, such an issue. Well, if you hear the word fracking, it sounds like something you wouldn't say to your grandmother. It's, yep. it, it, it's very easy. It's the F word. There was actually mm -hmm. a poll, uh, I believe it was from a Louisiana State University a few years ago, where they asked people about their opinions of fracking. But they did an interesting thing. They asked Part, they asked some people about hydraulic fracturing and explained what it was. And then for other people, they gave the same explanation, but they called it fracking. There was a 10-point difference whether you use hydraulic fracturing or fracking. Hydraulic fracturing, if you use that term, uh, the favorability was about 10 points higher. Interesting. So the, the idea that environmental groups don't know that, that critics don't know that, they, they realize that if they, whatever they can call fracking, they're going to call fracking because it sounds harsh, it sounds bad, it sounds wrong, uh, and it, 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 fits their, it fits their political purpose. The, the interesting thing is that the people polling also shows that people who are familiar with hydraulic fracturing – are more uh, they, they support it by about by about a ten point margin. This was a separate poll that came out recently. Those who are familiar with the process um, support exceeds opposition by about ten points. So the more people know about this and the more people are are informed about the facts, they actually will support it. Uh, but as long as this is a you know we're talking about frac quakes and we're talking about all of these non sequiturs and ridiculous terms, uh, people are not going to be informed, and you're going to drive up opposition. Environmental critics know that, and you know their their, their goal is to shut down uh, productive industry. And by golly, if that means just tying everything to fracking despite its accuracy, well, they're going to do it. Yeah, they're not impeded by the truth. <laughs> that it, it, it certainly it certainly feels that way uh, sometimes. They, the, the 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 linkage between fracking and earthquakes that they have tried to draw, uh, the fact that it just completely counters what scientists have said on camera. There are videos of this. They're in all these stories. Uh, their their willingness to go past that just it, it raises questions about how accurate uh, or or what kind of accuracy they're actually aiming for, if any. 
Yeah, we've got it. We've got a little under a minute left, Steve. Tell us about energy in depth, if you can, in that brief amount of time. Sure. Uh, Energy in Depth is a research and education program of the Independent Petroleum Association of America, which is a uh, oil and gas trade association, uh, launched around 2009 uh, and has just been a source of uh, information on hydraulic fracturing and horizontal drilling, what those processes are, what they are not, uh, and also a place to kind of push back on some of the false claims about fracking, about the oil and gas industry, particularly onshore development, uh, and just to serve as a, a resource there. We have fact sheets. We have videos. Uh, there are educational tools. But like I said, there's also uh, some, some extra context on some of these claims that are made about oil and gas drilling that are designed just to help just are, are designed to further a political campaign against development. We think both of those elements are important. Good. Well, Steve, you're a great spokesperson for Energy In-Depth. Thanks for joining us today on America's Voice for Energy. This is AmericasWebRadio.com.